Good morning. Good morning to those who are online and watching. Great to have you joining us today. As for the snow as to whether it's a winter wonderland, I guess that all depends on how you see snow. <laughs> it, is, it is pretty out there. And uh, on a side, I was going to say almost a funny note, but it's not a funny note. The news, I don't know if it's Ontario, I heard, that no longer there will be things as a snow day anymore. No, seriously. Because now that you can go online, school will be done online. I feel sorry for you guys, for, for the kids. Sorry. When I was a child in school, I really looked forward to the snow days. But, oh well. That's what we get for technology. Anyway, let's, uh, we're, we're going to be wrapping up the series today. And next Sunday, we start the first Sunday of Advent. And uh, that's going to be, here, here we are, already in Advent. And Marilla Smith is going to be teaching next week. So that'll be exciting to listen to. Let's pray before we begin this one. Father, we thank you for your, your love for us. And, and Lord, we thank you for the way you care for us as a shepherd cares for their sheep. And Lord, we sang a song today about that we trust you. Even if we don't know what, you know, we don't know why, what's going on, we trust you. Easy words to sing, God, sometimes so hard to walk through. And we just, we just ask, Lord, that when we have to walk through those times where we have to trust, may we know that you walk with us. May we know, Lord, that your presence is near. And because of that, everything is okay. So, Father, I pray you, you would give us ears to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. So, we're wrapping up from Micah 6, 8. Micah was a little prophet in Judah, and God used him to speak to the people of Judah because they had basically gone off the rails. Uh, materially and economically as a nation, they were doing very well, but in every other way. Uh, the people of Judah were not, were not following God at all. And so, as I've said before, the people did come to their senses saying, yes, we need to repent. But they asked God, what do you require of us? What do you want? What do, you, do you want us to give up? Like, is it sacrifices? Is it offerings? Is it like gifts that we got to bring to you? Like, do we have to sacrifice our kids even? Like, what, what is that? They, they even asked that question. And God gave the answer that, no, what I require of you to do is to do what is right, justice, do justice, to love mercy or kindness, and then finally to walk humbly with your God. And so the first two, justice, yeah, we get that. And, you know, loving kindness, we get that as, as well. But to walk humbly with God, first of all, I, and I don't know if you ask questions like I do, but I ask, why that one? Of all the things you could require of me, <laughs> why that? How did, how did that get into the mix? And what does that even look like? And it's a, it's a good place to start to ask God to start there and to see where we go from here. So where do you go? Well, you go back to the beginning. <laughs> go back to the very, very beginning in Genesis. And in Genesis, what you read there is God created creation, and part of that creation was people, you. So you can imagine if you were the first people to show up on planet Earth, uh, you wouldn't have a clue what, how people are to look, 
act, think, <laughs> anything. You wouldn't know. We wouldn't know. But what Genesis does tell us about people, the only one thing, one distinguishing mark that Genesis tells us is that people were created in God's image. That's the one distinguishing feature that Genesis gives us a hint of. And what that does is it actually creates a level playing field. Because if you don't know what people should look like, I guess every people you see is the way people should be, right? That would be the normal thing. So then you have to ask the question, well, if it was a level playing field, what happened? How did things go wrong? How did things go sideways? And that's a very good question to ask because what we see is that the serpent came along. And the serpent had a question and the serpent had an opinion. And uh, I'm just going to read a little bit And this is in Genesis 3. And the serpent's question is, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? It's a question. That was just a question, right? And answer, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. That was the serpent's opinion on this. The serpent introduced the idea, and if you pay attention to what the serpent says, but it introduces the idea that they are not enough in the sense of if you eat this you will be like God in other words there's some place you can go to you can attain you're not not yet but you can attain and if you'll eat the fruit you'll be like God it's real insidious but that's how the serpent works really cunning and basically what the serpent did was it the serpent seated the insatiable need to compare ourselves with others. That thought, just that thought in your head, maybe I'm not everything I could be. Maybe not. Maybe there's something else. I could, I could be better than that. And then all of a sudden, there's this dissatisfaction with who I am. Right? Then you know what happens? I do it. (laughs) You categorize people, right? Subconsciously, you place them above you or below you, or they're just like you, right? We we do that, and and we just, we, we put people, depending on how we see, right? And the thought of being less than haunts us. That's the one thing we don't want to be, is less than. Be considered that. That is a difficult thing, right? And you see, the thing is, in my head, if you could get in my head, you don't want to, by the way, (laughs) but if you could get into my head how I look, think, act, feel, and all that stuff, it feels right to me. That's the way people should look, act, think, feel, all that stuff, right? It feels right to me. And you, (laughs) you have attributes that, 
I would like, but you also have attributes I don't like, right? You, I see that in you, and I don't understand why you don't think and see like me. But what all this does is it creates this false need to be like others or not to be like you, right? We wrestle with this, right? And the interesting thing about this need to be like, it's the same trap that the serpent fell into, wanting to be like God, having to be like God. And this thing welling up in, in the serpent itself. And the problem is, is that how I see myself will tend to translate in how I see you. And it's a, the only word I can think of to describe what takes place, what this thing that the serpent seeded in us, and, I, and we bought it, we bought it, is insidious, right? It's just insidious. Because here's the thing. If I believe that I am less than, there is a tendency for me to see you as less than. Why? Because if I can make you feel like you're less than, boost me up a bit. And it, it creates this me above you, but I got to put you down a bit. Ponder this. If you think this through, that's exactly what takes place. Right? It's why the bullies do what they do you know, at schools or wherever. You know, even in, in any area, workplace or whatever. It's this thing, to, if I can put you down, it makes me feel superior. And it's just this, lack of better words, this wicked thing that occurs. Anytime I see myself above you, pride sets in. And there's also, an, there's also a part of when I always stay in the place of seeing myself as less than. There's, there's some aspect of pride that is there. The way I look at other people. And I say, we go back to what that serpent seeded at the beginning. It's like, wow, you're dangerous with your thoughts. That's why we always got to be really concerned about our thoughts, our thought life, what we think. What's influencing that. Pride will tell me that I'm right. And that you're wrong. And the problem with that is I see myself as right in being. You know what that is, right? Self-righteous, right? Self-righteous. That's what that is. In my eyes, I'm right. You're wrong. That's what self-righteous is. I, and, and, and what I end up doing is making myself a god. That's what I end up making myself. And the problem with that is that, that, that thing that was seated in us is completely out of sync with creation. Totally out of sync with creation. I cannot walk with God and at the same time think of myself as better than others. And I'll also go to the other place of seeing myself as less than. It's a hard walk with God in that sense. But what God opposes is this thing of that I'm above you, that I'm above others. I inflate myself. Just you're out of sync with creation, right? That's why God blesses, and you'll see this throughout Scripture, blesses unity 
among people, this union with others. Why? Because it's a level playing field. And that is what God had intended right from the beginning, that all, all are equal. Humanly speaking, all are equal. God blesses that, blesses union, blesses unity. It's also why God despises that word, division or divisiveness, despises it. How, how much so? How much so? In Proverbs 6, the writer writes, there are six things the Lord hates. He goes, no, actually there's seven. And that word hate that's used in Proverbs there, it's actually hate to the nth degree. On a more lighter note, it's the hate that you see in the Grinch movie where the Grinch goes, I loathe. That's <laughs> that type of what God despises, divisiveness and division. And the seventh thing that the writer adds that God hates, it says, a person who sows discord in a family. Understand the weight of those words. That God hates that, does not like that at all. Now, here's the other thing too. The antidote to pride is not debasing oneself. It's not doing that. That's not the answer. Um, we have to remember the original intent is a level playing field in how I see all others. But in how I see all others, I also need to see myself in the same way. Meaning, do I have weaknesses? Absolutely. And guess what? So do you. <laughs> you have weaknesses too. And if you stand, put your hand up right now and say, no, I don't, you become an illustration for today's teaching. <laughs> right? Right? But we all have weaknesses. But here's the other beauty. I have strengths. I have gifts. I have talents. Right? And you do too. We all do. And that's the thing. When everybody comes together with their strengths, with their gifts, with their talents, with their skills, within community, within that union, it's amazing. And God blesses that. God blesses that. Humility always will defer to the other, will prefer the other, always. Paul talks about it. Jesus modeled it and talked about it. You see it in the Old and New Testaments, this whole thing of preferring the other person. And it does that because humility knows it is loved. It knows it's created in God's image. And it sees all other people as created in God's image. If you're a people, you're creating God's image. Nothing factors into that. If you're a people, if you identify as a people, you're created in God's image. And humility is secure in that reality. Humility doesn't need to compare, doesn't need to denigrate, it doesn't need to puff up either, inflate itself. And here's the thing, when I know that I am created in God's image and loved by God, it affects 
my walk with God and how I walk. And here's the thing. I walk carefully because being secure in who I am, I'm also secure in who God is. And the one thing I realize, and I know this, I am finite. And if you ever doubt you're finite, go to a cemetery and look at the grave markers. You'll see a start and an end date. That's finite. God is infinite. God is infinite. No start date, no end date. Thank goodness, eh? No start date, no end date. And that tells me, that right there says, I do not fully comprehend or fully understand everything there is to know about God or about life. I do not understand or comprehend everything that goes on in people's minds or hearts. I, don't, I can't see other people's minds or hearts. It's beyond anything I can understand. The one key feature throughout all of Scripture that we admire in people, that we lift up in Scripture, the different people we call heroes, they're not, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't say they're heroes, they're just like us. But we, we put them up here. The one key feature is their humility. Well, that's what you see in them. You see that humility and it's very admirable. Some examples real quick. Job. Job. Job and his friends... Um, they talked like they had the answers to all the bad stuff that happens in life. In particular, it was centered around Job and all the struggles he was going through. And they talked from chapter 1 all the way up to 37. It's all these answers, why this is happening to you, Job. It's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. Oh, no, it's all this stuff. And in chapter 38, God steps in. And God pulls Job aside, maybe pulls him into his office and goes, Job, I got questions for you and you're going to answer me. And for the next four chapters, God asks Job questions about understanding stuff, understanding things. And Job has no answers, none, no answers at all. And in the final chapter, in the very final chapter, Job throws in the towel. And Job says these words. I know you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. That's the point of, that's one of the main points of Job. We speak of things we have no knowledge of. And immediately following that, God blesses Job for that. You got it. That's what God goes. You got it. Similar is Psalm 139, written by David. David writes this beautiful poem about wherever I go, if I go up to the highest mountains, if I go down to the depths of the sea, God is there. God knows my inmost being. God knows my mind. God, God has sees me coming and going. And then David makes his declaration, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to even understand. Same words, same, same flavor, same taste, that humility, that God, I don't know. It's too wonderful for me. 
real quick. The disciples with Jesus. Jesus at one point there was saying things that were making people feel really uncomfortable. And a lot of the followers, especially those on the periphery, were going, oh, no, you know what? You're weird. And they started backing away. And people were leaving Jesus, not following, right? And Jesus goes to the disciples and goes, you guys want to go too? Peter answers. And he goes, where would we go? You have the words to eternal life. It's humility you see in Peter. A beautiful humility that's there. And then finally, there's a writer in the New Testament who was alive. You know, if anybody knows anything about Jesus and being a disciple and following and that, it's Paul. Because Paul was alive when Jesus was alive, not on Jesus' side at the time when Jesus was at his ministry. And then Paul, you know, he converted. And Paul was taught by the disciples who hung out with Jesus for three years. So if anybody knows Jesus really well, or understands the teachings of Jesus, you'd think Paul would. And he does. In one of his letters, his first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul, you know, touches on a number of topics that he wants to instruct them on. And one of the areas he wants to instruct them is on spiritual gifts. And right in the middle of his instruction, he stops and he goes, by the way, I just want you guys to know about your pursuit of spiritual gifts. I want you to know this. That you can have, you can be able to heal everybody. You can be able to have all the tongues that you want even tongues of angels, that you can give all the money you want, that you can become a martyr even, throw yourself on the flames. But if you don't love, it means nothing. That's what he says. What Paul says right in the middle of that instruction, drives that home that, guys, if you don't love, the gifts you have mean absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then in that instruction on love, that, that, that teaching on love, Paul says this is what love is. And when you read that little thing, you know, love is kind, love is... That's humility that Paul is laying out there. And then you got to keep reading because Paul makes a brilliant statement that you need to realize this is Paul making this statement of himself... And it translates to us how we are called to live our lives and live our lives before God. And in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 9, it says this. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. Stop. See what Paul is saying about himself, but about us. Our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even, pay attention to the words, the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. You want to know why prophetic words need to be tested? That's why. Prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. Even when somebody, even if somebody says, I'm a prophet, here's what God's saying. Remember Paul's words. Prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. And he goes on, but when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Just stop right there. 
I wondered, what has that got to do with anything you're talking about, Paul? And you know what I think? This is a think. I know you'd like an absolute that this is what it means. I think Paul is talking about when I went around acting like I knew everything, that was childish. But I've grown up now, and I put that stuff away. I put that stuff away. I know I only see in part. I know I only know in part. I think Paul is saying that's maturity. That's what maturity is. Continuing. Now we see imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. Then, when perfection comes, right? When Christ returns, when, you know, we have new bodies, new minds. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. So now we see things imperfectly. Like, that should be a memory verse for us, right? That should, be, that should be a memory verse. I was never given that one as a kid. And Paul says, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. We need to say that. <laughs> you need to look in the mirror and say that to yourself. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. I'm going to make a comment aside, and that's not in my notes. The world right now, if you're on the social media, if you're on listening to stuff, it is giving, it's talking like it knows things that are going on with the pandemic, with the economy, with all that stuff, all that noise that is going on. And the church, and it has, because we're people, we're imperfect, is slipping a bit and falling into that trap of that we know that we have full knowledge. No, we don't. We don't fully understand. And that's a good place to be because then you have to do what we sang today. We have to trust in you. <laughs> because when I know it all, I don't need to trust God too much. Right? It's easy then to say I trust when I control everything when I have you know everything's all nice and neatly packaged but when I don't know I got I got to trust more we got to remember that we know in part we see imperfectly we see like you know uh, puzzling reflections in a mirror that's how we see this is what God requires of us as a church as people who follow Jesus no people the Lord has told you what is good and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he requires. And the humble walk with God begins by stepping into the new life that Jesus Christ has called you and me into. People are, when I say people, Different speakers, different scholars are now talking about, just you hear it every now and then, this thing of original blessing that we forget about. We talk about that we almost make the starting point, the original sin. And they're going, actually, we know what, we need to back up just a bit. There was an original blessing in Genesis 1 where God has done all of creation, including humanity, and God blesses it. And God says it's very good. It's very good. And we, as God's, we as creation, part of that creation, we're, we, our distinguishing mark, we're created in God's image. 
as followers of Jesus, we talk about that we are new creations, that we are kingdom people. In kingdom people, then, we need to think like the original blessing in the sense of that you are enough. We are enough. I am enough. You are enough. God has created me. God has created you. And that's our security. I can walk humbly with God because, see, the beauty is I don't have to carry that weight that I have to know everything. I don't have to carry that weight that I have to be right on everything. I don't have to be. God knows everything. God knows me. God carries me. And that is my security. Isn't that like a child? child knows they're secure with their parent, right? They just know it. They know it. We are enough. Listen, for those who are watching or anyone here, if, if you're on that periphery where you're wondering, oh, should I follow Jesus, should I not? I want to just say this to you. Um, following Jesus is following Jesus' way. Becoming a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you follow a church or you follow a, a, a leader or a preacher or a speaker or anything like that. It's about following Jesus and learning Jesus' way of doing life, trusting Jesus, tr- trusting Jesus' words that he is the Son of God who has come to earth to rescue us from these vicious traps we fall into, to, to rescue us from the hurt and the pain and to transform us into thinking like he thinks and to walking like he walks. And it does take a decision like we do anything in life when we decide to go in a certain direction. We make a decision actually and walk that. But I want to tell you something. That if you, when you make the decision to follow Jesus, one of the things you'll discover in your times with Jesus, I guarantee this, Jesus never shames, never shames, never denigrates because you are his creation. And Jesus, you'll always know that you are enough. And Jesus sees more of who you are as a person than you see of yourself and that others may may see of you. Jesus sees you and Jesus loves you passionately. You are enough. You are enough. Guys, you need to know my prayer is that, and I know it, it, it probably won't have happen until Jesus returns, but my prayer is that the church can shift. And when I say the church, I'm saying the church around the world can shift to a place where the church isn't, and I was thinking this this morning, that the church is not liberal or conservative or Democrat or Republican or socialist or any of that stuff, Right? It's not left, it's not right, it's not centrist, it's not, it's not that. That we are one and only, we are followers of Jesus. We follow Jesus' way. That's what we do. That Jesus is our king, Jesus is our leader. Because I believe the church, if we could fall in step, it would just like turn this world on its head. I truly believe that. I truly believe that. That Jesus has, has, knows the way, knows the way to walk. I'm convinced of it. And I want to follow that way. So let me just pray. Father God, oh God, teach us the beauty, the joy, the gift of being able to embrace humility, to walk as humble people, Lord. Lord, 
before you, before all others, that it is a gift to know, Lord, that you are God and we are not. Takes so much weight off of us. Lord, we pray, we sing, we talk to teach us your ways. And Lord, this morning I pray, God, seriously, teach us your ways, oh Jesus. Teach us what it means to follow you. Teach us. We bow before you. We love you. And we love how you love us. <laughs> and we say, come Holy Spirit. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the powerful force it is throughout the world. And Lord, for any, anybody who's watching, anybody who's here, who is considering following you, Lord, I just pray, push them into the kingdom, God. If you're listening, watching, I just say, say yes to Jesus. Say, yes, I'll follow. Yes. <laughs> you will never regret it. Never in a million years. Never. So, Father, we thank you. We give you all the honor, the praise, the glory, both now and forever and ever and ever. In your name we pray. Amen.